Paradise Nation. Greetings and salutations, Device Nation. You're home for the greatest show on earth, and we know that show is and continues to be in spite of the quarantine. Medical device sales with ideas, stories, and interviews to help take you from good to great. This is Kevin Brown, your voice of Wensleydale in times of spray cheese. I hope you are having a great day. Hope you had a great week. Hope some cases are popping up on your surgical calendar. I'm starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and I do not believe it is a train. We're going to do some exciting stuff today. It's not going to make any sense at first, but we're going to tie it all together. We're going to talk about Mr. Rogers. We're going to talk about rebuilding a carburetor. We're going to throw in oranges and tinker toys. And hopefully with this big mess, we're going to find some things out of this that's going to help us all in our selling efforts. So hang on for that. And you're going to want to hang on for the interview today as I get to speak to Dr. Danny Goyle of Precision OS. We're talking virtual reality and what I believe is the future of sales and surgical education. Fun, fun stuff. So let's get right into it. Mr. Rogers, I promised you all that we were going to start going through this man's life and mine it for sales gold. And today is that day. Let me read you a little something from The Atlantic. This is Arthur Greenwald speaking, a former producer of the show. And he said, there were no accidents on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. He took great pains not to mislead or confuse children. And his team of writers joked that his on-air manner of speaking amounted to a distinct language they called Freddish. Fundamentally, Freddish anticipated the ways its listeners might misinterpret what was being said. For instance, Greenwald mentioned a scene in a hospital in which a nurse inflated a blood pressure cuff, and it originally said, I'm going to blow this up. Greenwald recalls, Fred made us redub the line saying, I'm going to puff this up with some air because blow it up might sound like there's an explosion and he didn't want the kids to cover their ears and miss what would happen next. Now, to you and me, that might seem a little silly to be thinking that deep at that granular of a level, but it makes perfect sense. We need to be that thoughtful about the words that we use and work through it before it comes out of our mouth instead of having to clean up the mess afterwards. So let's go into... Freddish. What does that mean? Let's look at the first one that we're going to go through today. State the idea you wish to express as clearly as possible and in terms preschoolers can understand. Now, last week we talked about how you say things and how it makes people feel. And we know that feeling is a way of thinking. So we got to be careful in how we deliver our lines and the tone and the tenor and the pitch and all those things. That can trigger emotions from people, good and bad. So today we're going to talk about what you're saying. And I love this line in terms that preschoolers can understand. Let me give you an example. When I was young, I distinctly remember watching my dad come home from work and talked to my mom, and he went off on this long thing about rebuilding a carburetor. And my mom was dutifully sitting there smiling and listening, but I know she didn't know a float valve from a hole in the ground. He kept talking. I didn't understand what he was saying. My mom didn't understand what he was saying, but we all just gritted our teeth and got through it. So 
in my family now, we use that as a metaphor. When I come home from work and, and I'm getting into some deep conversation about orthopedics and alignment and all these things, and we, we, call, we call that rebuilding the carburetor, uh, that I am guilty of doing the very thing that he did, which is just going off on a tangent a little deeper than my audience is ready for. What does that have to do with oranges and Tinker Toys and Mr. Rogers? Well, absolutely everything. I need to tell my story to my customer in terms that is as simple as possible. Now, one of the things that I did many years ago was take a Tinker Toy... I went to Toys R Us back when Toys R Us was a store and you could actually find your way around the place. I found Tinker Toys and I took a large wheel and a small wheel, connected them to with a connecting rod and used it to explain to a surgeon how the knee worked in terms of one condyle being bigger than the other and how an implant with asymmetric condyles helped replicate that. It sounds stupid, but it worked. I had a situation recently where I was talking to a surgeon about biofilm, and I got that same preschool inspiration, and I went to the store and got an orange. I cut the orange to where the rind could easily come off, and then I used it as a way to explain that when it comes to biofilm, bacteria creates a rind around it to protect it, and the product that I had helped destroy the rind making the inside of the orange an easy target. So why do I do that? This sounds so simplistic. And, and honestly, it doesn't work for every product because if you're selling a nail and you have something cool about your nail and the doctor understands nails, you're not going to do stuff like this. But if you have a niche product and something that gets a little uh, weedy, getting into the weeds, into the technical part, the, the rebuilding a carburetor aspect, right? These props are absolute gold because this accomplishes two things. Number one, it takes care of the asking if they know about something. A lot of people have egos, and if you ask them if they understand something or know about something before you begin to say it, they will oftentimes say yes, even when they don't really understand it because they don't want to say that they don't know. So right away, you lose them at the beginning because they really don't know what you're saying, and you've got no foundation for the conversation. Or you put them on the defensive because you can be perceived as being the smarty pants sales rep who knows something that they don't know. And that's not a place you want to be. Secondly, starting a conversation assuming that your listening audience knows how to rebuild a carburetor or assuming that they know about some minutia that you happen to be selling, again, runs the risk of losing them early on and there's no foundation to the talk. They're just biding their time for it to be over. And you didn't get any buy-in because there was nothing to buy in because they didn't really understand it to begin with. So using a simple prop like that when you're getting into these niche things that can be a little technical go a long ways towards taking care of all of that. Because, see, I'm able to explain how my product addresses biofilm. And what I did was I gave a little lesson on what bacteria did to protect itself, but I didn't ask the surgeon, did he understand biofilm? I, I did a quick thing as to how my product worked, which also acted as an explanation of what biofilm was doing. And I didn't have to assume that they knew. I blew on past that. And I assumed that they didn't know it and just made sure 
in a in a easy way to grasp. Same thing with symmetric uh, condyles, or you know, I could go through a million things. So really, be thinking about your product and how, if it has a little bit of technicalitis to it, how can you come up with a way to show it without assuming that they know it? And that is, let's be honest, we do that as reps a lot. We think if it's medical and we know it, then everybody knows it. And that's not true. That's not true. The, the medical world, the orthopedic world is a huge universe. Nobody is a master of everything, whether it's a surgeon, a rep, or a, anybody. I mean, it's just too much to know. So assuming that somebody knows that little niche thing that you're talking about can set you up for a sales call that doesn't go the way you want it to go. And lastly, as a friendly reminder, it's always good if we don't ask if they know about something because that leads to an answer that may not be good for you in terms of your presentation. So don't ask it. Go on through it and figure out a way to creatively present so that that question doesn't even have to be asked, right? Words to think about. Speaking of niche products with a lot of technicalitis all around it, we're going to talk about virtual reality. And I really want you to check out this guy's website, precisionostech.com. I think this whole virtual reality space is amazing. You can go on Amazon.com and see the Oculus Rift, the Oculus quest headsets for doing this type of thing i like the quest because it's standalone and it doesn't have to be connected to a computer and it's just inspiring this has been a long time coming we've been talking virtual reality for as long as i've been around in the the geeky nerdy world and starting to see it become more mainstream and seeing applications for it in the orthopedic space just makes a lot of sense I know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. So open your ears, open your minds, strap on your headset, and let's talk to Dr. Danny Goyle. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be here. I, I've been excited about this interview for a long time because I am a gamer at heart. Uh, I built gaming computers with my son many years ago. I, I decided rather than being that dad that just uh, got on my son's case all the time for playing video games. I would actually jump in there with him. And we got into um, a lot of the first-person shooters, the Unreal Tournament, um, uh, things like that. And uh, when I saw your technology in the VR world, I thought I was looking at the, the Unreal Engine. I don't know if that's uh, what's behind this technology, but um, uh, looked very familiar and very exciting. Thank you, Kevin. That's very kind. Uh, walk me through your life. You're an MD, but you're in a tech company doing virtual reality, kind of a great training platform for surgeons, for device reps and all that. Walk, walk me through your path here. So, you know, I grew up uh, in a relatively small town, I guess, in Canada called Winnipeg. And uh, I became an orthopedic surgeon, uh, did some subspecialty training with some, uh, you know, mentors of mine who I continue to be in contact with and came back to Vancouver back in 2010 and began a shoulder practice. And, you know, my shoulder practice uh, consists of uh, open arthroscopic procedures and I really enjoy it and continue to enjoy it. And part of 
you know, my interest in education has been, you know, being involved with the residents, uh, teaching some courses for some medical device companies over the years. I really became interested in how people learn, but also, you know, how can I become a better surgeon? And that was really important to me. And so constantly I was always on the mission to make my skill set better. And so as a surgeon, I did lots of different things to practice. You know, when I was a resident, I used to have a, a board at home, which would allow me to practice tying knots because you tie a lot of knots when you're an arthroscopic surgeon. And from visualizing what I would do the night before for a case uh, to, you know, rehearsing the case in my mind at the scrub sink. And I still do that. And I always go in and try to be as prepared as possible to try to increase my skill. And then part of that was also learning from my mentors and asking questions, which we all do. Uh, and the surgeons in the audience will be able to relate as we're always trying to, you know, pick the brains of some of our senior colleagues and say, you know, what would you do in this situation? Or importantly, you know, what do you think I did wrong in this scenario when I thought this way? And that's extremely powerful engagement with, you know, our mentors. And so this is all sort of uh, organically driven by me and just, you know, sometimes where you've got a complex case, you just don't feel like you're entirely ready. It's how do you get ready for that case? Going into a big game, I think you're naturally nervous. And and the residents, when you look at them, and they have the same feelings when they're in the operating room about to do a case that they may not have seen in, you know, a year since their junior years or even prior to that. So how do you get people like that, including surgeons, to the level where you feel really confident about doing a case? And so that's kind of where the organic part of this all grew is listening to my sort of own personal feelings about how I wanted to become better as well as teaching others to become better. From conception, did you seek out somebody to do the technical aspect of it? Are you involved in the technical aspect of it? I know a lot of surgeons that write code. Just curious as to to where uh, you got from that point to this finished product. So it was actually a, uh, a random meeting in that, um, so I had an interest in creating this app because part of what I do is I like to, you know, do what I can for patients and have them access surgeons. And so I thought that an app may help them identify their problem a little bit sooner and help seek consultation when they were ready for it, when they thought they would be needing it based on this app. And so I met one of our co-founders, Rob, who happened to be in game development. And I shared this idea with them about how healthcare in Canada works and him being in game development, you know, really enjoy the insights that I had as a physician. And so we talked back and forth about what he was doing, what I was doing, what I was thinking. And then he introduced me to Colin, who's our third co-founder, who is doing some work in VR. And this is now going back you know, 2017, which is in software, 2016, I should say, which in software years is significant. And so he had a headset that he had in his house. And so we all met in his basement one day and I put this headset on and I was absolutely amazed by how immersive the environment was and how it just captured all my emotions. And I was completely dissociated from what, you know, would be sort of lay terms as just general reality. And, and existing in this virtual world. And uh, from then, we really went down this pathway of how do we educate and impact as many patients as possible? And, you know, being an active orthopedic surgeon, the natural decision was to explore orthopedics. 
And so we, we made a lot of prototypes, uh, many. And what we did is we exposed those to many people uh, in the industry, from junior to senior surgeons to residents uh, to nurses and obviously to medical device reps uh, and executives to see if there was a, an appetite for this. And certainly, uh, once people got into the immersive environment and there's that first wow factor when you first get in, which is certainly very, it's very palpable. And, but, you know, we always kept asking the question, what about beyond the wow factor? Is there still a role for this? And once we really got to the seat of the problem, that's kind of how we developed our product. And it's always been very patient-centered, and we basically built uh, the ecosystem around that. I took one of your sets home the other night. uh, It has a total knee and a shoulder module on it, and I had it in my possession for all of about 10 minutes before my family got a hold of it, and I didn't see it the rest of the night. I I told a surgeon friend of mine about it, gave him the case. He sends me pictures of his kids wearing the the headset. It's got such a wow factor to it when you're looking around that virtual operating room and uh, it's just amazing. Um y'all y'all coded it great. It just has a great look and feel. I saw that you won company Thank of you. the year, uh startup success, the the BC Tech Association. Congratulations. Where have you seen the most uh, growth potential much. coming your way? Do you think it's more on the device side, or is it on the the medical institutions? Uh, where where do you see the greatest fit for this thing? You know, I would say it's quite broad in the sense that uh, ed- the appetite for education is limitless. Uh, you know, everything from a medical student to residents to even I've had some conversations with some senior surgeons who are interested in, you know, maximizing their potential. And uh, obviously sales reps want to get up to speed on implant because it impacts how they can actually support the nursing staff as well as on occasion the surgeon in the operating room. So it's been quite broad. And the desire has been to really uh, capture the audience that wants to always do the best that they can do. So Getting micro-learning and a very fractionated experience is what people are after. We live in this ecosystem of time, convenience, and efficiency. So how can you teach me as much as you can in the smallest amount of or the shortest amount of time? So it's actually been surprisingly quite broad, I would say. There's been no one... Being a sales trainer trapped in a a sales rep's body, I immediately thought as I was messing around with this thing that uh, it helps you move away from the typical sales training model of C1, C1, teach one into the C1, do one, teach one, and being able to do it over and over and over again. And and just the economics of it alone. Uh, I, I was looking mm-hmm. at the price of a 128 gig is about the cost of, of a plane ticket. And now you've got a headset that you can just do over and over with all these different modules. It's uh it's quite a value proposition, and I imagine there's a little bit of a serendipity going on. What's going on with COVID, right? Yeah, it's, you know, certainly it's a very unfortunate situation that's happening right now. However, the the challenge is that all this, all these cohorts that I mentioned uh, pre-existed COVID, in that there was always never a good model to provide people this concept to term to productive failure. And productive failure is where you can, as it sounds, 
you increase your uh, your skill set by failing. And that doesn't exist in healthcare very well unless we're actually operating on patients. And you can ask any surgeon. Uh, and, you know, I can tell you from my own experience as well as when you have a bad outcome, that is when you learn the most. And that's how people, we talk about cases uh, with colleagues, this is what they learn when something like a, uh, unforeseen or an adverse outcome has occurred. And so if we know that happens in the real patient, we should be able to create a mechanism by which that exists, regardless of the scenario in this case, a pandemic has occurred. But the education has always been a challenge. Pre-COVID, it'll continue to be post-COVID. And so that, it just happens to be that VR and this method of virtual learning, just like Zoom or Skype has come to the forefront because we're all talking about the education uh, aspect of it. Distance. When I put the headset on, you go through a couple startup screens and it, it has a very much of an augmented reality feel to it because I can see the room around me. Uh, but I have screens that I'm interacting right. with and I, and I walked away from just that startup sequence wondering about the collaborative aspect of um, a surgeon doing a case with this headset on in an augmented reality way, and Dr. Goyle is collaboratively in that space with me uh, from Canada, and you would be able to see what my surgeon sees and be able to interact in a virtual way to point out things or uh, look at this, what about that? Um, and I'm just wondering, is that on the, the drawing board with this technology and a collaborative and slash augmented aspect? Yeah, I mean, without saying too much, I'll say it's on the horizon kind of loosely. But uh, what I'll say is that the potential for such a thing has uh, has been defined and explored right now with some others like Dr. Ahmed, who's a well-known surgeon in London. And he's done a lot of that experience where he could bring people into the OR, showcase what others are doing. But the potential for that type of collaboration through this technology is is limitless right now. And I would say that we haven't even, you know, scratched the surface with where we can go with this. And I think the technology, as, you know, somewhat people may feel with Zoom, it's actually, it perhaps is bringing us closer together without the constraints of travel and time zones, et cetera. And so I would say that uh, we have yet to see the bottom of the glacier. My brain just with, went uh, uh, all kinds of different going. directions messing around with this headset. I had an interview recently with Dr. Wayne Paprosky, and I, I just imagined him doing a, um, a pelvic discontinuity and 20 other surgeons being able to virtually be there right in the case with them and to look around the table and to, to look at things from all angles and to interact. It's just, like you said, the where you can go with this thing, it's just uh, amazing, all the directions. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, people like Dr. Paprosky and others who, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to learn from because, you know, let's say I live in Canada and he's in the U.S., but there are other surgeons in the rest of the world that would love to have seen a surgeon like him operate. Uh, but they can't because they're confined by the limitations of travel, et cetera. But imagine if you could just open the door to his operating room to whoever you wanted to at whatever time to their convenience. I mean, that's, it's amazing. That's a really I talked with a friend of mine this. right before uh, you and I got on the line together and 
we were just going back and forth on the distance training in the third world uh, of what opportunities that would present because you know the guy in the that's operating or the the girl that's operating in um, Venezuela or Dominican or anywhere just pick anywhere in the world being able to work alongside them and train them on a product that just seems so cost effective and uh, the the immediacy of it it's just unbelievable to think of what the potential is for this platform yeah, I couldn't agree with you, Mark, Kevin. I think that that's an area that we haven't even touched or begin to talk about at length. But, you know, we recently, as you are aware, we signed a partnership with Dr. Zirkel from Richland, Washington, and their organization. And they are currently, uh, obviously, in you know, the present time excluded, travel to these low-middle-income countries to help educate the surgeons they could provide and do tibial and femoral nails for these you know, these poor individuals who are getting struck by motor vehicles. And that's a big problem out in these, some of these countries. And it's not insignificant. It's actually quite significant and affects the economic stability of the country when your working class citizens are traumatized and actually can't work but are in, in bed, in traction, or in an ex-fix. And so through his mission, he's been going down there and training people, but it's, it's, it's hard to do that at scale. So we're actually supporting that mission with, you know, virtual reality that we're developing where he could be in Richland and he could have headsets in 15 or 20 different countries. And from his house, he'd be able to be in a virtual OR and train them exactly how to do this procedure in several different types of cases in a fraction of the time. And that for me is the power of a portable solution like we're using right now with the Quest, which is you can take that headset anywhere and it can work with or without Wi-Fi. Of course, if you're doing a remote collaboration, you would have to have Wi-Fi, but if the surgeons wanted to practice on their own time, they could do without uh, Wi-Fi. And so it's, uh, it's offering this type of education, regardless of where you are in the world, to help provide the type of care that you should I was be, genuinely again, surprised when I opened the case and I pulled out the headset, I pulled out the two controllers, I saw the charger, and I, I was just, I guess I was expecting more. Uh, the simplicity of it, I mean, you're right. It's it's so portable, and just being able to move that around the world to to connect with people at a at just a closer level that's uh, that's exciting stuff. So where next, Doctor? What's uh, what's the next big thing on the horizon for y'all? Yeah, uh, please call me Danny, Kevin. So the. Um you know, I think the, the future is very exciting. I think that we're seeing a lot of interest in this type of technology. I would say that it's, it's opening our eyes and we haven't come across the questions that we should be asking with respect to education. I think it's challenging the whole dogma of education. Uh, you know, going to as junior as say someone in, you know, grade one or two all the way to a surgeon is it's really challenging how quickly we can learn and how effectively we can learn. So I think the potential of people and individuals on their skill set is completely unknown for all of us. And so having personalized learning with data and performance metrics, there is so much that we just don't know about this era and this technology right now that's the future of where this is going to go. So I think uh, it's exciting is what I'd like to say about where this, what the next steps are. And, but it's also unknown. Because, you know, the famous quote about 
I don't know what I don't well, know. Well, sir, I wish you the best in this endeavor. I, I, I think it's just unbelievably exciting technology, and I see the value of it in so many different ways, and I, I know you guys are going to be extremely successful. Um, and this is just uh, the thing with the sign nails. That's just God's work, uh, reaching out to these people in these countries and just providing a platform for education and uh, just trying to help them as they help others in, in these difficult places. Just great stuff. My hat's off to you, sir. Thank you very much, uh, Kevin. You know, as a, as a company and personally, it's really important for us to provide education to anybody in the world. And I have a lot of respect for Dr. Zirkel and the fine organization for what they're doing. And we're just, we're just so proud to be able to provide them with some solution or some uh, advantage that they can use and explore to help. So there's probably device reps out there right now that are hearing about this company for the first time and, and perhaps their company does not currently employ your technology. How can they find out more about your company to, to share that with uh, the powers that be? Yeah, so they can definitely email me uh, at um, danny at precisionostech.com. Or they can call me on my cell phone. I guess they can. There's multiple ways to get a hold of me. Absolutely. Their website to my listening audience is precisionostech.com. Precision, the letters O-S, tech, T-E-C-H, dot com. Great stuff. Great stuff. Check it out. And again, Dr. Goyle, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to keeping an eye on your company and the news because I know you're going to be in it. Uh, great work and uh, great job. Thank you, Kevin. Lots of work to do yet, but thank you very much for the encouragement. I really enjoyed talking to Dr. Danny Goyle. It reminds me of that Napoleon Dynamite song that Kip did about, I love technology. Great, great stuff. I can't wait to see more and more coming out on this platform. This is truly a company that I think is on the up. We want our sales career to be on the up, and I firmly believe that as we do what we've been talking about on Device Nation, learn how to communicate your wow on your product, two or three wows in two to three minutes, and you can tighten that up by pretending you're making your presentation to a fifth grader. That gets rid of all the fancy stuff and the fat and just gets right to the point, using an orange, using a tinker toy, using whatever prop you've got. I firmly believe that you need a prop for almost anything you sell. I think it helps, but being able to tighten it up, if your customer is technical, then go technical. If your customer's not, then don't. Then go tinker toy. Go all in. But I firmly believe that starting out simple, get your point communicated in the easiest way possible, and then be ready to go into those deep waters if you need to. I think it accomplishes so many things and keeps your customer from getting on the defensive or getting lost in a presentation that they really never needed to get lost on. And that's only going to help you and me. So stay tuned for next week. We're going to continue to go through Mr. Rogers' Fredisms, and we're going to look for ways to apply that into our everyday selling efforts. I think it's going to be great. I've learned a lot from it, and there's things I'm going to apply uh, this week with some of the things I've got planned. So, so have an awesome week. May your surgery schedule be full and be strong, be smart, be positive, 
and most importantly, be safe. Device Nation.